the work week, am I right? But do you know what would make it a little bit better? Doing church on a Sunday and then listening to a podcast about the sermon. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Church Collingswood. Each week we'll spend some time unpacking Sunday sermonics, and we hope that you'll be able to connect a little deeper with the message and the messenger. It's a win, if we can make your work week a little less blue. House lights down. Welcome to the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem. Hello. I'm here with my husband who, I don't know why, but you're like very smiley this morning. What is going on with you? It's Holy Week, baby. <laughs> Easter, here we come. Easter's here. Great. What did you give up for Lent? Are you like just excited to like renew that? I'm, ex- <laughs> <You don't... laughs> I'm just excited. Why, why are you excited? I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Eeyore. <laughs> It's a gray and cloudy day. Actually, I like gray and cloudy days. Um, Eeyore. Stormy Monday. I, I do identify with Eeyore. Who do you identify with? Oh, that's a good question. The Who is the Enneagram 3 in Winnie the Pooh? So I was going to say that I would identify so you as a 4, right? Okay, right. I would say that you were Christopher Robin, but Christopher Robin is not a 3. Um, so you're really not. I think that I I don't know why you're just boyish charm. The the <laughs> the mama rabbit that has fun but also is, is like, in charge is right. I think that the mama the ma it's a kangaroo, not a rabbit. Oh, and same thing. N- I mm, I'm not seeing it. Maybe maybe they're you're just uncategorizable. Okay. <laughs> Halloween wolves, right in. Tell us what. <laughs> Winnie the Pooh character, Jim is. I, I do fully endorse being Eeyore. Yes. Here we are on Call It Stormy Monday. Why this sermon? Why this Sunday? Um, it's my my first time, I think my first time, um, just interviewing you on your sermon based on watching on YouTube. Oh, that's right. You were at a retreat this past weekend, and so you didn't have the live experience. I, didn't furi- I wasn't furiously writing notes. Pe- just like Bruce, they say I'm better live. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> <laughs> I I must say I was kind of distracted while peeling shrimp. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a thing. Um, so I I don't have as many notes. We're gonna try to make this work. Hmm. I think it can be done. Okay. You you look nervous now. <laughs> I've I've been nervouser. Full, don't worry. Full gamut of expression from my husband here. Um. So yeah, this is this was Palm Sunday, which I also. I am so disconnected. Like, I also didn't really think through that, like, I missed Palm Sunday. <laughs> right? It was Palm yeah, Sunday. It was Palm Sunday. The way that you're was, looking like, was, I got it wrong. Was that mentioned on No, we did not celebrate Palm, Palm Sunday. Palm branches. No Palm branches. Process around the... We meditated on a psalm and were quiet before the Lord and sang some hymns of praise. Okay. Talk okay. about... It's a liturgical calendar uh, It was the pastor's right wives. Pastor's wives talking about... Um, how terrible our husbands. husbands are, <laughs> how stressful their lives are, how terrible their children Nobody are. Nobody understands us. How terrible the the position is. Right. No, I'm just, I am totally kidding. Don't, Actually, don't forget the parking spot. I am very thankful for Liberty Par- Pastors Wives. Uh, it, it actually makes me love the Liberty Network more because I have been in other circles of Pastors Wives and I just, I feel like the... Mojo of the pastor's wife's wives is to be really honest with each other, to be kind of non-judgy about yeah. the struggles that we're facing, and and um, really kind of care each other. So 
Yeah, and we're, I think we're supportive of our husbands. I think so. And yeah, that's that's a testament to Christine Huber, who sets the sets the pace and culture very well among among pastors' wives. Right. And look at me. I'm setting a tangent right right at the start. Good for me. <laughs> so um, no, we're just getting, why getting this, comfortable here. Why this sermon? Why this Sunday? Uh, it was Palm Sunday. So that that was my question. So mm-hmm. it's Palm Sunday. Traditionally, a church would be preaching on the uh, entrance, the, tri- the, the entry, triumphal entry mm-hmm, of Jesus into Jerusalem on his way to the crucifixion. Mm-hmm. Um, why did you not do that? I mean, more years than not, I have not preached on the triumphal entry in, on, on Palm Sunday, but we do try to make a point of mentioning it multiple points during the service. So Tyler Mills, our music director, selected a couple of songs that were new, potentially one-offs, just to key with Palm Sunday, mm-hmm. choruses of Hosanna, that's that sort of thing. I did mention Palm Sunday during the sermon, and it featured in what Eric, how he introduced the service, and then also David, our liturgist. So the... the the thing is, maybe this is an internal reason better than an external one. There's only one passage mm-hmm, mm-hmm. about Palm Sunday. It, it's a triumphal entry, and it's in a couple different gospel accounts. But either way, I just get tired of preaching on that same passage mm-hmm. year after it, year This after is year. not a judgment. I'm just asking yeah. a question. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it is like we, we may at Liberty being o- occupy a strange space where we you're, take the liturgical calendar seriously. Right. It's but not, then we're, it's kind of not liturgy if you're not. Yeah. We're low church enough still that we don't necessarily automatically do the triumphal entry as a sermon text for, for Palm Sunday. Right. I did get a lot of angry emails about that, though. Oh, I know. Fielding, fielding all those, <laughs> all that anger. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um. Where are the palms? Mm. <laughs> Where are the children waving branches? Well, luckily, Holy Trinity, the, the place that we oh, they from, did have palms. They had palms everywhere, oh, so, fine. so so we were nicely covered and frond by <laughs> Holy Trinity <laughs> to to the point actually where, and don't don't spread this around Helen Wolves, but we actually removed oh, a couple no. of palms because for, there were too many for the live feed, including one at the front of the pulpit, so it looked kind of like a. It was feeling like jungle. Yeah, you jungle would you would have act. seen a palm frond going up to my chest in the pulpit. <laughs> that if, would have been distracting. Removed it. Quite distracting. <laughs> Symbolic chest hair, only a palm. Okay, well, more more on just what you were burdened with then. If you were choosing generosity for this week, um, mm-hmm. this Palm Sunday, or you're moving through the. Um, Practices of presence. And right, <laughs> route to a third way walk in worldview as is a result this, of our pre presence initiative. Is this the last one? No. Okay. So I'll, let's let's say for the end what we're going to be doing next Sunday for, for Easter. So it is going to be an Easter sermon and the culmination of our Practices of Presence what? Lent sermon series. Shocking. Reporting oh you to goodness. the liturgy police. <laughs> That sounds that sounds sounds interesting. <laughs> okay, so but why why generosity? Like? Why this Sunday? Is this because I have a new job and so we have new income? <laughs> and you want me to stop looking at Crate and Barrel catalogs? We do need to talk about that. But more than that was so generosity and stewardship. It was actually not super intentional that this happened to be Palm Sunday. So in in and that it happened to be when I was looking at Crate and together, catalogs, right? Providentially timed, I'm sure, but not intentionally purposed by me. I can go back to Ikea. Oh! (laughs) Where dreams and marriages die. Ikea. 
in Swedish. The so there was a little bit of a process of elimination where we had Derek and Eric preaching on specific topics of their choice. So they were preaching during the sermon series. I had them pick one that you think you feel passionate about. And then I was just kind of filling in around that. I, I did have a specific idea for Easter that we'll get to at the end of the podcast. And so generosity and stewardship, it was a little bit of process of elimination. And behind the curtain a little bit more, going looking at the overall sermon series, this was probably the topic that I was least excited about going in. Mm-hmm. Not not because I don't think generosity and stewardship is important. I preached about it before. I think the sermons have gone fine. But there's with a sermon like this, I don't go into the preparation period thinking that I'll discover new things. I know we should mm-hmm. give. Everybody does. We don't want to. And so my first pass through was this was going to be a little bit of a paint-by-numbers sermon. But I think as God was working in me this past week, I I came out of the preparation period and into Sunday morning potentially feeling the most passionate about this particular practice of presence in comparison to any of the others that I preached about this mm. time. So I, I I really got into it. And that, right. that that doesn't always happen on a week-to-week basis. Or I, right. That's good. I never don't believe when I'm preaching or feel good, feel burdened about it. But uh-huh. that still means that some Sundays are more intensely felt than others. Am I remembering it correctly that pastors tend not to want to preach on generosity or giving? Or is it that... Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. So that that's a little bit of an old stereotype where kind of old school pastoral advice was you build up preaching about giving as this topic that nobody really wants to deal with. Preachers don't want to have to talk about it because that means they're telling people to give to their church, which is related to their salary, and it just feels icky and odd. I think with younger generations of churches and pastors, and this is something that we've tried to do intentionally at Liberty Collingswood, with our with our offering moments, this is, this is Eric Mitchell and the finance team. We have a rotation of topics. I think it's about six of them that we hit on a weekly basis. And the idea with every time before we announce the offering on a Sunday morning, we say something different, different topics, sometimes what we're giving towards, sometimes a life change story, sometimes a budget update, to normalize the fact that giving is something that we talk about on a regular basis. And therefore, it shouldn't be this once in a blue moon, but super weird, super awkward. So because of that contextual base, um, I, I don't feel weird or have misgivings about preaching about this topic. Sure. Okay. Just just tired old <laughs> right. world path. Yeah. But, so what was the thing that happened as we moved to Sun Studios and we think specifically about mm-hmm. this passage that right. you that came to you? Um, what was what was emerging from that as inspiring you know one other calling it stormy monday orientation (laughs) why do we have these titles we have the hand signals to to say Uh, the hand signals do not work (laughs) (laughs) for one person according to the other person i'm the person who's supposed to be like leading a guy i what is my Uh, role here so here, here, here's a question for Helen Wolves. What do you think the hand signals are? Feel free to write oh in. PostSundayBlues at gmail.com. So the, the other thing I was wrestling with and burdened by going into the sermon, I mentioned during the sermon introduction, a conversation with a skeptical friend talking about how consumerism is the mm-hmm. religion of Americans across the board, right. including Christians. Right. And so I think part of why I was swept into a deeper appreciation of this topic this week was in part because 
there's part of me that wonders, hey, are Christians really that different from mm-hmm. other people? Right. Are, are we, am I, if I say Jesus is the most important thing in my life and generosity is super important, would people that observe me, and this is where I landed, landed the plan on the sermon at the end, would they actually say that mm-hmm. generosity drives me? Or right. would my patterns, would my credit card statements simply reveal that I'm a consumer just like everybody else? And so that were, was a nagging question. And you were watching me with my grain barrel catalog. <laughs> Do we need to talk? I actually haven't been noticing that. No, so. I'm just, I, thank, I think that is the, my, my, mental, my mental space has been obsessed with furniture. I, so yeah, okay. that is the conviction point. I'll, I'll get it. That's good. <laughs> I like it. It's uh, working. But moving on to the passage, mm-hmm. what, what, tell me about how you chose this passage, how it came to be. Yes. Jeremiah chapter 32, Jeremiah buys the field. So I think I mentioned during the sermon, maybe I didn't, that I'm not sure if I've ever preached a sermon from Jeremiah at Liberty Collingswood. As, as years go by, I'm able to tick off and check the boxes on preaching more and more books of the Bible, not straight through or beginning to end. But I think Jeremiah might be, so Eric Mitchell was talking with Scott a couple weeks ago about how Psalm 1 might be the most frequently preached upon text of scripture. Jeremiah, I think, has not been touched. I'm not 100% sure of that. Kind but of shocking. I've, I've always been intrigued by this passage. It's not numbers. The, so I, I love preaching. Numbers is actually on my radar as a uh, let's book, go with book, Jeremiah book first. The, Jeremiah buying a field. One of the things that I love about the book of Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, this also applies to some of the other prophets. Daniel, obviously. Ezekiel has some crazy stuff going on in his life. So the many of the Old Testament prophets, they're not just vehicles of revelation from God, but very often God will tell the prophets to do something. So there would be these symbolic acts that reveal something about God's will, not necessarily only by what they say, but then also by what they do. Mm -hmm. And so God tells Jeremiah to buy this field while literally speaking, the field is in the area of Judah where everything is being taken over by by the Babylonians. And so the couple of challenges with this passage, and these are fun challenges. There are other challenges in pastoral ministry that are not fun, but this is one of the fun ones, sermon construction. The It's a really long passage, so I I, I edited out... And a long book. That's of, probably... Is that part of why? Because the context of Jeremiah, it's so long. It's the longest book in the Bible. Yeah, so there's... You would have... I think it would be tough to preach from Jeremiah 1 straight to the end. Right. But it, what is it, 58 chapters or something? I'd have to go back and check. But um, uh-huh. but they're really long chapters. The right, so Sorry it's just a really long you. book. And then and then this this chapter itself just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. So, so I cut out different pieces and hopefully was able to distill the essence of the passage. Uh, fun challenge to to preach on biblical narrative that this that's this long. And then also there is a little bit of finagling here. Before I sunk my bed and said, this is definitely the passage that I'm going to use to preach upon giving and generosity, I did go back and forth a little bit. Hey, this passage really is not about giving and generosity. You have to do some interpretive things to get it to apply, which I think are valid. But I did, this passage did re- require more interpretive elbow grease to 
treat the passage fairly on its own terms and then say, how, how might we give some instructions about generosity and stewardship from a passage like this? Mm-hmm. That, right. That, um, sorry, I was, <laughs> my brain just like stopped listening to you. <laughs> Scenes from marriage. <laughs> I feel like that's the first time it's happened during a podcast. I was, yeah, I was trying to think through. <laughs> would, would you remember the other times? <laughs> Yes, because like I feel like I'm I'm particularly like actually listening to you during a podcast because I have to respond. Well, thank, thank but you like for my brain was like time. thinking about our our hand signals and how they're not working <laughs> and trying to solve that problem. Okay. <laughs> so, I wonder how many Howlin' Wolves are like start listening to podcasts and find themselves wandering off and then like they they just re rejolt when you start talking about yeah. our band cover tunes yeah I, not so no so it's my passage not explicitly so why don't, about why giving. Don't you ask yourself the next question since I wasn't following <laughs> okay Emily will catch up but here I am the the point of connection was just how incredibly irrational and counterintuitive this command is to Jeremiah from God, where right. he's called to do a really foolish thing. Right. So he's called to foolishly buy real estate that is right, 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 quintessentially right. a depreciating asset. And then I drew from there, well, we are called to be foolish in our generosity. And one of the things that made me think, yeah, I can get there from this passage is that Giving foolishly, giving extravagantly, being generous is something that you see all over the place in the scriptures. Mm -hmm. So I tried to be careful soon after making this point from Jeremiah, referencing Jesus cleansing the 10 lepers, healing the 10 lepers, but then only one comes back. Zacchaeus paying back fourfold Mm -hmm. everybody that he's defrauded, selling half of his possessions, giving to the poor. There's a really fascinating passage from the Torah in Deuteronomy where... God, through Moses, tells the people of Israel, if you have somebody in your midst who's struggling financially, just Mm -hmm. be generous and give to them until their need is no more. Right, right. And a a surface reading there is open the checkbook. And there there are some balancing prudential wisdom type stuff when it comes to to how we give. I didn't go into Mm -hmm. that during the sermon. But the bottom line is we need to be super generous. So that's, that's what hooked me when I thought about generosity and stewardship coming into this passage. Sure. And I like that emphasis because it is convicting to me specifically, as well as like to our culture, to Christian culture, to our general culture, um, where we're really pretty selfish in, in, in heart and nature. So, um, that's good. And, And I also feel like you could get derailed a little bit by the concept of doing something that other people would find foolish or that is foolish I don't know I still that's the part that like I would find a challenge like if it was logically the wrong quote-unquote wrong decision or an unwise unfoolish decision yeah um it's hard to like wrap my head around what that actually looks like and but I think you did find a solution in terms of our our generosity can look foolish yeah and and admittedly saying that we need to give foolishly was a little bit for rhetorical shock value. So no, we shouldn't be just dumb Mm -hmm. when, when it comes to giving. I did try to pair in the midst of that first point about giving foolishly, 
the word foolish with something like extravagant, and mm-hmm. that's probably a better word, but it doesn't start with F, extravagant, mm-hmm. and I, I needed an F. When to, did that yeah. happen with you? Because I feel like you you used to scorn that kind of thing, and then all of a sudden there's this shift and you do it all the time. I've gone through different phases where I've been super into alliterative sermon points and then other times deeply scornful of them. And this is this is my third way walk in worldview phase when it comes to Who's alliteration. That? Yeah, so so the pendulum continues to. to I'm swing. alliteration neutral. I really don't care <laughs> if if it's noticed at all. And uh, yeah, so so being extravagant in our giving and, and part of the rationale as well with me using that word foolishly mm-hmm. is acknowledging the fact that we have this ingrown tendency deeply towards the opposite Mm -hmm. where we are so incredibly stingy and selfish when Mm -hmm. it comes to giving that a word like foolish can rip off the band-aid and just shake us out of our stingy stupor and and say say hey we've really got to get more serious about being generous kind with with our money a big um, reality yeah shift That's yeah right. and and i did try to balance that the talking about being fruitful so we do want to use think about all of our resources as far as investments and that's really where this passage in jeremiah is driving at mm-hmm. god tells jeremiah to buy the field as a visual enactment of the promise that there will be a return to to judah so even though all of the Israelites are being carted away and exiled, they will come back. And therefore, this piece of the field that Jeremiah is buying, it will not be a depreciating asset forever. And so when we give, we want to give in areas and directions that are that are fruitful, that, that will bear fruit. Right. Um, and how does that connect to how you felt more uh, engaged by this passage than you assumed that you would be beginning or if this that might be muddying the waters when what is what was fun about this sermon yeah it's fair i think it it made me think through mr giving and number one are we doing enough and number two and this is this is a first world problem when it comes to to generosity so so all of our giving is bank or credit card deduction which you can which you can kind of forget about but part of the conviction for me is, hey, if we're giving to these to our church, if we're giving to these various ministries and organizations, I should pray for them. Mm-hmm. I should care about them. Right. We should probably tell our kids. I'm not sure if our kids even know everybody right. that right that, we give to that we're giving to. We should probably just tell them, mm-hmm. not not because we want to brag to our own kids, but say, hey, as a family, we are generosity. we are investing in the kingdom of God mm-hmm. in these specific ways, and yeah, teaching our kids to. Be more generous. Whether green light the the app that we're using with our with our older kids, and some of our kids have a ton of money. <laughs> shockingly, so guess so which ones, guys. The, yes, we have we have some that do not keep I track. I think of you those would things. guess and if then, you really thought about it, but. right? And <laughs> and then the the other part, presence of the Lord here. Um, that I was pleased to discover that in this passage, there's language of God giving His people a new heart, hmm. which famously occurs just a chapter earlier in Jeremiah chapter 31 I will give them a new I will make a new covenant with them I will put my law in their hearts which is appropriated at multiple points in the New Testament at most length Hebrews chapter 8 but there's a refrain here in the next chapter Jeremiah 32 
And so that was just a really fun connection point with Jesus. So how do we get from Old Testament context and see Jesus as the fulfillment of whatever has been revealed in a specific Old Testament passage? Well, in the fullness of God's covenant with us, the new covenant, God through Jesus crucified and resurrected will give us a new heart. And also that makes all the difference in the world when Mm. it comes to generosity and giving. So happily enough, the passage pointed me in a direction that I was able to tie some things up by the end. Right. I was able to Big Lebowski that sermon with the rug. It was like the Ebenezer Scrooge, the Grinch, the like heart change, the heart turn. Right. Common. Yeah. Of storytelling. Yes. So so Emily went Dickens. I went Big Lebowski. (laughs) I also have the, did you read about Melinda uh, Bezos, the divorcee of Jeff? She's been like Mackenzie. Uh huh. Okay. She's been That's like Melinda Gates. So, so you conflated. Oh, Melinda sorry. Gates. Wait. And M- what is her Mackenzie name? Mackenzie. Nay Bezos. I forget. But what is? Uh, yeah, I did. Yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. But she's been like giving away her billions of dollars, like apparently very rapidly. Yeah. Good for her. <laughs> it is a place of and privilege, though, to like if you have the if you have that much wealth to to stick it to your <laughs> divorced husband <laughs> by like delicious like, yeah um it's a little different but moving on to muddying the waters what else was go. fun about this sermon to you so chipping away at our hard hearts mm-hmm. was really the main thrust of the sermon as far as we talk sometimes i'm about a fallen condition focus where we bring the context of the world of a sermon text to a specific disposition related to the fallen world that exists in our hearts, mm-hmm. whether whether sinful or suffering or struggling. And this is this is sinful. We are selfish people. Right. And the call to be generous, the call to steward our resources well, squarely runs up against, crashes into the wall of the fact that we are stingy people and American consumers. I I mentioned the statistic towards the end of the sermon. And statistics are statistics. You can always poke holes in them or go a little bit deeper or just spend time on Wikipedia to find whatever you want Mm -hmm, to be there. mm -hmm. Statistics said that on average, Americans give less than 2% of their income to to charitable causes of of any kind. That's really, really low. Mm -hmm. So, So most of us... Most of us really don't give it all. So wanted people to grapple with that reality in real time on Sunday morning. Right. And yeah, American consumerism is is 100% in the Christian church, and it's 100% in our church, our own hearts. So yeah. I think it's appropriate to try to engage that. Black Tuesday versus... Black Friday versus Giving Tuesday. I did... I did... I'm, I am kind of like aware that that... Uh, that we are, I'm in that like we are older phase, but mm. I really think that you're misunderstanding Black Friday now because Black Friday, I'm not tempted to go out and be in line or, or like camp out. Uh-huh. I think that was another generation. So right now, like what I was doing yeah. was like I was on deal alert sites and like writing down the best deals and like talk, like looking at what other people were finding the best deals and then yep. like buying things online that were timed so that um, you could also make sure you had a credit card guarantee or like if, if it, the price did drop, you could still yep. get the price back. Like, so there's another game that's going on related to the next generation of Black Friday 
shoppers that I think you skipped. So I, I did think through that eventuality in my mind. I, I chose not to clarify it just for the sake of time. But if I would have, I would have said, now some of us will... <laughs> Stampede through Best Buy at 5 a.m. in the morning. Other people take Black Friday online and are just as consumed with deals from the comfort of our own home. It's the same difference. I had thought I, I, I had thought yeah. that through. I guess so the visual. Yeah, it to, depends to me, the, on your audiences. Right. And, and I would guess at Liberty Collingswood, we are more internet- Black Friday people know, than, right. than than Golden Corral. I, I did get the also the reference. do people know who Golden Corral is? Well, I, I was specifically referencing the viral video of the fight at the Golden Corral where, oh, where two oh, brothers. Okay. There was one piece of steak left, and why are you speaking Barbank cover too? The, <laughs> oh, I just couldn't resist Golden Corral. You know, always I, love it. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, you were talking about that in our kitchen the other day. I didn't actually stoop to watch it oh golden corral it's been a punching bag of mine for years and then the fight happens it was a gold mine a golden mine so you just you wanted <laughs> you were trying to get the viral video in i see i see how it yes. is so by doing that yeah you were trying to do the visual of the black friday tents but yeah it all, it all comes together i i, I see <laughs> everything settling into place in emily's mind right now what else? What else? What was what was difficult as you approached the sermon? So the flip side of grappling with our stingy hearts, positively speaking, and and this is challenging to do because it's just easier to be stingy, was to cast a positive vision for giving, where if if you're in a good groove with being generous you can actually find a, a lot of freedom there. Mm-hmm. And if if you're really energized by, by generosity, by stewardship, you're worrying less mm-hmm. about how much money you have. You're less jealous of friends of yours that are getting to do more fun stuff than other people. You're not stressing out about whatever is going to come into the mailbox or the inbox related to a new bill mm-hmm. because money is not about you, it's about other people. So, right. and, and I do think... I mentioned in the sermon that for many of the people that we most admire in our lives, they're the ones that are generous. Mm-hmm. And, and there is a deep and abiding beauty in lives marked by generosity. And people who are generous. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Talked a little bit about strategies. So kingdom-centered approach, uh, gospel-centered, but then we can give to s- stuff related to word and deed, both in the present and investing in eternity. And the last part for me, I'm with, with muddying the waters. And every sermon, I try to engage skepticism one, one way or another. More often than not, that happens at least by the midway point of the sermon. In, in this case, I did it towards the end, asking people that are not people of faith, uh, why should we give it all? Mm-hmm. And I only mentioned briefly dur- during the sermon the recent history of philosophy is trying to figure out a good reason to that question, mm-hmm. where you're constantly trying to mash the two puzzle pieces that, in my opinion, don't fit together, survival of the fittest on one hand and generosity. virtuous altruism and generosity on mm-hmm. the other. It's it's really hard to do. And the, the way that I see that, that that bridged, which I get as far as it goes, but I'm still not persuaded, is you have a combination of evolutionary biologists on one hand and then 
philosophers, ethical philosophers on the other, building bridges to say that it's actually in the self-interest of an individual or a tribe to, to be altruistic to, to mm -hmm. those that are either not self or not in that tribe. So being generous is actually coded into our DNA. Therefore, we should do it. The, the two problems with that for me is one, that's only descriptive and not prescriptive. Mm -hmm. So even if there is some genetic impulse for us to be for us to be generous and there might well be god's a body of god is the god of body and soul just because it feels good for us to do that even from a genetic perspective that that doesn't necessarily say that we should so it's describing human impulses but not prescribing by mm -hmm. way of virtue what we should do mm -hmm. and then secondly at the end of the day it's still self-interest right so right hey, we should, we should embrace the fact that we should be altruistic to others because at the end of the day, it furthers ourselves and our own tribe. To me, that's, that's not mm -hmm. altruism. Mm -hmm. It's altruism on the outside, but still cooked into survival of the fittest on, on the inside. And, and then wanted both Christians and non-Christians to grapple with. You may agree or disagree, but the Bible is accurate, I believe, in radically diagnosing the problem of our lack of generosity in a sinful, selfish heart. And then if the Bible is true in that direction, would we also weigh whether it's true that the only solution would be a new heart? And I think, I think it's true. And, and we should cry. If, if we're selfish and not inclined to give to other people, start with crying out to God that he would truly, and this isn't just pious language, but, but change our heart, renew us to give us a greater vision of what Jesus has done for us. And then let that dynamic of the gospel make us more generous people. Great stuff to, to mull on, to chew on. Uh, anything else? Giving Tuesday. That is all for bar, for mudding the waters. Bar band cover tunes. Bar band cover tunes. I only have weekend at Bernie's and that was only because you talked about it this morning to Clara. <laughs> Or was that Damn, yesterday? That wasn't weekend at Bernie. What are you? What? It was Christmas vacation. Oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> but I love it. Also a great 80s comedy. You know, I think that maybe I need to take notes. <laughs> I think... In the kitchen during breakfast? No, I think, that, I think that this experiment of me um, just listening to your YouTube sermon versus like sitting in the in the in the sanctuary writing notes well i i do appreciate you taking the time <laughs> on a weekend for uh post sunday blues on a week where you weren't actually uh -huh. in i the could have live streamed going, going instead of and... being present with my fellow <laughs> i'm so devoted to my husband that i need to leave you now because my husband's preaching <laughs> yeah that wouldn't that, would, that wouldn't be creepy at all so yeah it was christmas vacation I'll, have you seen weekend at bernie's M? When, I, I, was I, wouldn't in, have when I was in like high school, okay. I don't even think it was like I didn't actually like actively seek out seeing it. I just happened right. to see it. Andrew McCarthy, oh man, what a great, what a great this, the, actor. It's the, it's the whole category of movies I that well. I just no. really can't. They're yep. all the same. That's really my defense. <laughs> uh, classic. So Christmas Vacation, cousin Hanamel, like cousin Eddie uh -huh. from from Christmas Vacation, Country Bumpkin. And in the case of Jeremiah 32, this is his lucky day. The guy gets in debt, probably has no way to get this field off of his hands, but his kinsman redeemer, a la some of the movements in the book of Ruth, he, God tells Jeremiah, go find your cousin and buy his field. So Hanamel's like, 
okay, that sounds great. Thank you. Why do people like movies like this? <laughs> because they're funny. And actually, I I was waiting to see if anybody would have caught me in a mistake in a Star Wars reference. So I mentioned oh, that was me. Luke and Han. I'm sure I, <laughs> I, I caught it. I and would have caught it if I was taking notes. Now, I meant to reference Episode Six, Return of the Jedi, but I called it Revenge of the Jedi instead, mm, which was a, a mashup of Revenge of the Sith and Return of the Jedi. But I will say that the original working title of Episode 6, Return of the Jedi, was Revenge of the Jedi. So on the surface, it seemed like I was wrong, but really, I, w- I was right. You're an OG. That's right. And then one other movie coming your way. Um, I don't know if you've caught the Schindler's List reference. That in, was, that, in, that in the was more of my... <laughs> That's more your speed. My, yeah. my former speed. Yeah. So... Schindler's List at the end when Oscar Schindler, played by Liam Neeson, being thanked by mm-hmm. all of these Jewish people that, that he helped escape the Holocaust, right. uh, still seeing that he had wealth yet attached to him mm-hmm. and wondering if he should have done more. Right. So hopefully in a non-guilt-inducing way reference that scene. It's hard just to, to not tell be us, guilt-induced. Hey, hey, at the end, for us... Are we going to look at all of the stuff that we've bought for ourselves, the experiences that we've accumulated for ourselves, right. and say, I'm really glad that I didn't give to people more because mm-hmm. this stuff is awesome mm-hmm. versus I should have done more. Right. It's convicting. That's why I don't watch those movies anymore. It's, it's a, yeah. I, so I, I've only seen the whole movie once. I, I did go back this past week and YouTube up that, that one scene. Mm-hmm. There's a crying. lot of movies like that. I, I kind of feel like we should be watching with our kids. And I'm, I also kind of like, I don't, I can't, um, I don't have the, um, yeah, emotional space. Moon Knight. Uh, not present. A couple of quotes. I mentioned Martin Lloyd Jones, a nice definition from idolatry that I got from a book by Robert on gospel eldership, using that for some officer training right now. And in that book, there was this nice little quote from Lloyd-Jones about what idolatry is. So I added it to my list of idolatry quotes. So I'm sure there are many. Every pastor has an idolatry quote I mean, it is pretty central to the fallen condition. Yep, yep. So it was nice to get another one so I didn't have to use the standard ones that I use in that direction. Also fun to quote, am our old friend Phil Riken. So, oh, right. So he... he President of Wheaton College. Yes. And former... Wait, you used to have both, a good Phil Riken uh, oh, I did uh, have a good imitation. Phil. I did have a Wait, good... wait, read some of the quote. Hmm. <laughs> Let's see if you got it. <laughs> Nothing is too wonderful for God. Nope. That's voice more. If God says he will rebuild Jerusalem, nope. then rebuild it. Nope. He will. Oh, man. You, you, Out of you practice. Don't, you don't so, so Phil Riken preached when he was an associate pastor at 10th Presbyterian before he became senior pastor through the book of Jeremiah. I, I'm not sure every verse or every chapter, but through a lot of it. It mm-hmm. was then collated into a book called Courage to Stand. Hmm. And, and during the late 90s, before we had moved to Philadelphia, we were actually at 10th for an evening service. And I remember being present when Phil Riken preached on Jeremiah 32. Your brain is so and, weird. And it was it was a really good sermon. And years and years ago, I, I bought the book from Jeremiah because there aren't that many examples of, and I guess it's shifted to podcasts and audio recordings now, of really good gospel-centered Old Testament preaching. There's just right. not a lot of good stuff out there. Uh, but Phil Riken did a great job through that series. Fun to 
Phil Wright. Mention a mention a quote by him. I played basketball with him in South Philly. And won or lost. That he, was before I, I banned it from your life. <laughs> he was he was like the He was pretty good. Super stereotypical Tall, skinny, nerdy white guy. That that was just like an awesome shooter. And it's like, oh, I'm going to take this guy easily. But then it's like, okay, Phil. Take off his glasses. Yeah. No, he actually played with the sport sport goggles. And it was, it was, it was awesome. Uh, The streets of Philly. That's right. Also, speaking of Philly, it was fun to, I I gave a positive Philadelphia sports reference. I heard that one too. I was very confused. I was, I was I was wondering if that was if it was I just was, needed like, to tend to my karma there to this like third tier the... where you were criticizing some kind of <laughs> what wi- level of inception while <laughs> complimenting right yeah so John Middleton, Middleton owner of the Phillies talking about spending stupid money and foolishly extravagantly to acquire players he finally has and when I preached on Sunday morning, the Phillies had started the season 2-0. and I called an undefeated season, and they lost three hours later. It's what happens. It's what happens. But the Philly sports roller coaster continues. It's actually not a roller coaster. <laughs> it's just a trough. It's the it's the mach- the Ocean City machine that just goes straight down. Yeah, but yeah. shout out to the Five Golden Things episode that dropped on Friday. Me and Kevin. I need to listen. Talking to that about. One. I think I'd enjoy it. Celtics versus Sixers. A lot of good old school Sixers talk, and Kevin completely took me to the woodshed. I'm pretty sure about Wilt Chamberlain. I mm. he said that I was totally undervaluing mm-hmm. him as a Sixer. Mm-hmm. So I, I was I got schooled. Done got schooled yeah. by the old head. Surprising. Um. What? Did you actually mean mean, mean so, surprising? Yeah, good. No, no. Okay. No. Guitar <laughs> Slim Pickens. Any leftovers? I thought that was a compliment. You were wearing your glasses there. for the first time. That was going to be a Guitar Slim Pickens. Did, did so. anyone comment? Yeah, I got a couple of comments. And I will say it was great to wear glasses. My my nearsight has, is, is still absolute perfection. And so when I when I read or do anything close up, and I'm not wearing glasses right now as I'm sitting just a foot or two away from you doing this podcast, but my far vision has declined as as I as I continue my senescent trek into older age. And what the glasses one of the main drivers for me getting glasses was actually Sunday mornings at church Audience where feedback. where I, I just can't see people's I can't see most people's faces at this point and I am somebody that tries to make keep track pretty of steady how many eye contact keep, keep with track of how many people are falling asleep right and I used to know I, I was actually in I was at a jazz performance at the Collingswood Senior Community Center on Thursday night M they have first Thursday jazz for the school year and it was a total blast from the past sitting there thinking, wow, like I preached from where that saxophone uh-huh, player uh-huh. is is playing, especially Crazy. at the community center, plus mm. my better eyesight. Uh-huh. I saw everything. And I mean, everything. But <laughs> between Holy Trinity, the, the pulpit is raised and puts me more distant from the con- congregation, which I don't like. I would love being closer. It just doesn't work in that space. And then my waning far eyesight just can't see what people are doing, you how they're reacting, that, like, how, how they're responding. And, and we are has knocked over my coffee mug. <laughs> right. <laughs> we, we are, for better or for worse, or one context isn't better than other, a, a cool, emotive set of cultures by and large on Sunday morning as opposed to warm. So I don't get a lot of 
verbal feedback when I preach. Instead, I just have to interpret blinks, slight stares, blinks, changes yawns. of facial expression. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the haptic feedback is not that great. So angry, I need everything that I angry. can get. Oh, I get those. Uh. Per- perturbed. <laughs> yeah, every once in a while, somebody leaves during a sermon. It's, I just try to focus and keep going. Okay. Anything else you would wish you could redo? So I think that the live stream had been turned off by this point, but I mentioned to you as well, um, I was on music team. I always love being on music team. Hope it's good for other people. And the harmonica player's worst nightmare occurred this week where after the sermon, and I need to be sure to focus more. My mind is just a little slack <laughs> after the sermon. And... For the communion song, Jesse, who was leading worship this past week, counted off, and we jumped into the instrumental version of the last song that we were going to play. And when I started to blow the harmonica, it sounded totally wrong because I had the wrong key. And that Mm -hmm. is harmonica player's kiss of death. It's sort of like when you have dreams about being outside without your pants on and just being constantly terrified of like, why is this, why is this happening? I can't believe I forgot to put on pants. How could I have gotten out of the house before noticing? You're going to get fired. The, and then it, I've broken the seal. I I am that guy. Mm -hmm. I'm that harmonica player where, uh, it just sounded horrible. Oh man, I was mortified. But there shall be other Sundays. I'm not firing myself. <laughs> At least your wife wasn't there. <laughs> Clara was. She told me about it afterwards. <laughs> of course. Uh, Helen Wolves. I feel like Clara had comments, but I think they were more existential. She was, yeah, she was not really <laughs> asking questions. <laughs> Our fifth grader giving the existential comments. Right. We do have some other Helen Wolves, or at least one. Yeah. Um, here we go. Let's let's read this one. How do you justify not working when children are small or especially once they're in school when your income would have allowed you to be more generous? And why shouldn't we all go to college for, say, nuclear engineering and to become medical doctors or lawyers as to make the most money so that we could be able to give the most? Right. It's convicting. Good. Good questions. So I, I appreciate this, Helen Wolf because this person is thinking through the implications of generosity and stewardship and from a lot of different angles in in holistic terms a couple of different thoughts there the the bottom line for me is that when we think about generosity and stewardship we need to play the long game and to me it's and, and not that this person was necessarily implying otherwise but whether, whether a parent stays at home with kids when kids are younger versus immediately trying to return to the workforce, it's, it's not a zero-sum game if we are playing the longer game instead where there is advantage. And, you know, Christian freedom, you can stay home, you cannot stay home. But, but the, the upside of staying home with kids, just as a for instance, if you are staying home and your household is making less income as as a result, think of it this way. You're you're able to invest in formation of your own children in the ways of Jesus in some particularly deep ways such that they, when they get older, will appreciate the value of generosity. So one of the, one of the benefits of staying home 
with with kids is you know you're you're serving the next generation and we're not only serving the next generation uh, in any which ways but we're serving the next generation in the way of Jesus and if they follow the way of Jesus as they become adults they will be generous so you're there there there's less availability of income for generosity in the short term but there's also potential for longer generational generosity later on mm-hmm. but then on the other hand and this I is also why I'm thinking like thinking about like Mother Teresa or someone who yeah. like is not making an income right at all but still like there's not I well, go ahead. There's the next part of the question. You can address it too. Right. So, so why not try to be as, as rich as possible? I I think there are sociocultural factors that that put some limitations on on that. And then the if if that's what God is calling you to do, then that sounds great and do it. But then also be aware that whether it's the book of Proverbs or 1 Timothy 6, Paul's letter, first letter to Timothy has some really interesting stuff about what to do with wealth, including how wealth can actually get us off track with God. So if you are somebody that finds yourself with a lot of resources, read 1 Timothy 6 and make sure Mm -hmm. that you are truly being generous with it at the same time. And if you're blessed with riches, go for it, do it. But I think for a lot of us, more wealth doesn't straightforwardly lead to more generosity anyway. Right, right. Um, another question. Unless you're Mackenzie, apparently. <laughs> I... <laughs> she has other motivations, I'm sure. Gosh. What? Go on. <laughs> How can do we balance generation generosity of money versus time? I currently have little money, but lots of time. Yes. So... I think that's also a great question, and my answer for that is simply, and and this is one of those things where if this were a whole series of sermons on stewardship and generosity, I would have gotten around to to talking about it. I think it's right and good to think about generosity and stewardship in a 360 way, thinking about all of our resources, Mm -hmm. and time is certainly one of our resources. So I, I think that person asking the question is already on the right track. If if, if you're not in a place where you're just flush with a, with a ton of cash, don't beat yourself up over the fact that you may not be able to give in gross terms as much as you'd otherwise like. Mm-hmm. But then think about the time resources and be generous with those instead. So right. I think it's certainly the case that for different people and at different phases of their lives, sometimes generosity, means generosity of time is a lot more doable than generosity of resources. Mm-hmm. But then I think the caveat there is for whatever season of life we're in, we need to be careful not to make too many excuses about the type of resources we're not being generous with at any sure. given time. So it can go both ways. Yeah. So so if if I if I'm time rich and finance poor, that doesn't mean that I should think about financial generosity. And even more, I think we live in a culture where time scarcity mm-hmm. is is one of the the main stressors in our lives somebody who says well i can i can write a check for something but my time is too valuable i can't give any of that away mm-hmm. we can idolize money we can also idolize time right and right. i would actually be really interested to do more thinking about yeah. 
the idolatry of time, time in mm-hmm. the late modern you West. You know, even it strikes me, you could be in an office setting and not want to help a coworker like with their work because yeah. of your own time and like your own priorities. Right. Yep. Um, where you don't want to like stop what you are doing to invest in someone else. Like that's just, that's another form of generosity that's yeah. not in the scales. There's not a like direct correlation to your specific life, but just that an attitude of service versus an attitude of selfishness. Yeah, that goes back to the the foolishness piece where we need to be extravagant and not just, well, this would point A to point, the point A to point B doesn't work with this expenditure, therefore mm-hmm. I'm not going to do it. Right. Coworker needs help, help the coworker. Right. Even if it would help their career and hurt yours in the short term. Howling Wolves, any other Howling Wolves? That is all we have, I think. Feel free to write, guys. What do you think about Jim's glasses? Postsundayblues.gmail.com. You know, I think all of our kids like your glasses. Is that true? I think we're in such a such a pro glasses, glasses anti-bullying phase of existence that any negative thoughts about glasses, my right. glasses, would not be communicated to. I me mean, for, they communicate so. about your hair. The yeah, hair's hair is more on limits. Glasses uh-huh. is, I think, I think culturally taboo to make fun of anybody right. for for wearing glasses right now. Do you think the right boys now. were making fun of your clothes by wearing them for Adam Sasser Day? <laughs> here's here's <laughs> just I look tale, so good. tales of the public school system in the late modern don't, West. Don't say this one. Oh man! Well, the 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 bottom line is. Kongswood schools high school had an Adam Sandler. They 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 eliminated another type of day and made Adam Sandler day. <laughs> so students were encouraged to dress and they dress looked like nineties awesome. Adam and, Sandler. And they look great. They and direct, I had the clothes. They went direct to dad's closet. I had closet. the clothes to prove it. Old man dad. There we go. Is that all? Oh, One oh, other yeah. thing related to <laughs> upcoming. So Easter. Yes, it's gonna be it's gonna be Easter and um this was the first practice of presence that I put on the schedule. Easter? Yes, because Easter... Celebrating Easter? The, so can you guess what practice of presence I would be correlating to Easter? Celebrating Easter. The <laughs> gathered worship. So oh. I'm going to be preaching from the great throne room scene of Revelation chapter 5, where countless angels, miraculous beasts... Uh, where 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 the the throngs of heaven are praising the Lamb that was slain, Love it. and and that gives entree into talking about the importance of gathered worship, and it's a great text that exalts Jesus as the crucified and resurrected one. Last thing I have on my end here, um, on Sunday morning there was a person that came up to me. I was talking about Bruce Springsteen with somebody, and then another person Who walked by, and then singer songwriter from New Jersey, and. Another person walked by and said, Jim, you never talk about Bruce Springsteen in your sermons anymore. I, I missed that. And I was able to tell that person, Bruce is coming out strong at the very beginning of the sermon on Easter Sunday. So I, 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 I do get teased for... No, this is a, tr- I have a gotten sermon teased teaser. for <laughs> talking about Bruce too much. Bruce, I try to pull out only on special occasions, and it's going to be Easter. Easter Sunday. And here is an offer for Howlin' Wolves. If any of you can guess the song, I'm going to reference two songs. One's obvious. That doesn't count. But then the other one, if anybody can guess the Bruce song that I am going to reference. That relates to Easter and Resurrection. Sunday. Yeah, is that the clue Easter, Resurrection, Gathered Worship? Plus thinking about 
the lamb and the, the lamb is worthy as he carried our sin to the cross. So, okay. And if anybody can guess that, on my nickel, I will take you out for a happy hour. A nice happy hour. I, 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 I didn't run this by you beforehand. No, well, it, it, it would include you, baby. If, I don't do if, happy hours. If, if you guess. I only do full service. <laughs> five course meals. I know that's right. <laughs> for for non-Emily category, if, if you guess it first, it'll, it'll just be a happy hour. But it'll be a nice happy hour. And we can talk about Bruce Springsteen for a long time. So write in. Let me know if you can guess the song that I'll be referencing. <laughs> <laughs> Is this your way of like uh, engagement? Is that the word? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, this is going to be huge. Yeah, I think that's actually better. I, that is better engagement s- system than your rate, review, subscribe note that's here because I still think that's useless. But um, yeah, I'm glad you're listening to this podcast. Spread the word right in. <laughs> I, I enjoyed that Eeyore inclusio right there. <laughs> and with that, how was it? That was amazing. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been the Post Sunday Blues, a preaching postmortem production of Liberty Collingswood. Go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe, and you can find all things Liberty Collingswood at libertycollingswood.org. No more post-Sunday blues. Here comes some pre-Sunday happy. I I don't know. (laughs) I just am. Are you ready? Always.